solo and group clinicians alike are buzzing about Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals. With live customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and an extensive feature library, Therapy Notes is sure to streamline your workflow, giving you time to care more and worry less. Try them for two months free using promo code MODERN today. Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. It's time to reimagine therapy and what it means to be a therapist. We are human beings who can now present ourselves as whole people with authenticity, purpose, and connection, especially now when therapists must develop a personal brand to market their practices. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Bernoy, and today we have a very special guest and a very good friend of the show, Howard Spector. He is the founder of Simple Practice. He started Track Your Hours way long ago. He's kind of the tech entrepreneur of the therapy world, and we're very excited to have him here with us today. Thank you for joining us, Howard. Thank you, too, for having me. Pleasure to be here. I am so happy to have you here because I know you and I met sitting around a table and you said, how do I not know you? And I was like, because we just met. But you're so friendly, so wonderful. And I love what you're doing for therapists, private practitioners. And how did you get there? How did you go from where you were to being a tech entrepreneur for therapists? You know, that's a very big question. Like, how did we all get where we are, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so we only have a few minutes. So... (laughs) So the, the very, very abridged version is I discovered Carl Jung. I had always been very interested in learning more about myself. And so psychology is something that really spoke to me. I just felt like I kind of found home when I was reading certain things, and especially Jung at that time. I worked in the entertainment business for a while. Then I got involved in the technology business and worked at a number of, of tech companies through the whole dot-com bubble. And then I literally one day woke up and thought, I really want to be a therapist. I want to go to graduate school and get a master's in psychology. And There was a school that I went to called Pacifica Graduate Institute. It was depth psychology. So Jung, Freud, Joseph Campbell, whose works I was reading a lot of, he left his archives to Pacifica and it just felt like a really good fit for me and a very unique program. You live there three days a month. So I went and did that and it really was kind of an awakening for me. I started doing my training when I was in my second year and that's when I kind of came up with the idea for Track Your Hours. And basically, I just I realized at some point, even though I did all my hours, I just knew at one point that I was kind of combining my internet tech experience with my psychology experience, and I probably wasn't going to become a practicing therapist in the long run. And I had the idea for simple practice because I was thinking about what am I going to use when I go into practice? And I basically came up with the idea for simple practice and started building that and then ultimately sold Track Your Hours to basically help fund simple practice. And I really couldn't do both at the same time. So that's the very abridged, very long story. <laughs> Many years later, I think I started Track Your Hours in 2007. And we started Simple Practice in 2012 was when we first started developing it. So it's been a long, long road, but it's been great working with my colleagues, basically people that are, are therapists doing this great work in the world. So I really feel grateful that these two worlds in my life kind of came together and created this great success. You've got this great business background. You've been able to create so much and go in a couple of different directions in your life. 
not a lot of therapists really do have kind of that business sense. Can you walk us through a little bit of how you make business decisions? A lot of things that I do are really kind of instinctual. I don't do a lot of planning, you know, for better and for worse. <laughs> it took me a long time to really fully like trust myself. I even remember in graduate school, we were doing this exercise and I wrote the word trust on a piece of paper. And, and I've kept that because I think trusting oneself is a really big thing. And not a lot of people trust their decisions and things like that. So it took me a long time to get to a point where I saw that if I trusted my decisions and went with my gut, good things would happen. And usually when I didn't, when I second guessed myself or went in a direction that I, I thought that society or whatever said I should go in, it never really panned out. So for me, a lot of the decisions I make are really just based upon my own kind of intuition of thinking about what are we trying to do? Who are we trying to serve? That served me really well. So I try to do that as much as possible. It sounds like you've got a good instinct, but the piece that you said that I really liked was when you're trusting your gut, you're really sticking to a big why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Who are you trying to serve? And that's something that I think is a huge guiding star for a lot of people. But a lot of people do, like you say, they end up not trusting themselves. They second guess and they go down a road that isn't good for them. Were there any specific things that you did along the way that you, looking back, would have done differently along your path? I don't know if it's what I've done differently. I mean, because again, we've all done what we've done to get to where we are. So it's not like you can't really go back and change anything. Otherwise, you may you may not be where Yeah, no regrets. Right. But well, I've gotten to the point, I used to regret a lot of things. I've gotten to the point now that things are going well, because I trust myself, I, I'm looking back with less criticism of the decisions that I made. But it really, for me... It really comes down to, because I've been thinking a lot about this lately, it has to do with a lot of times in my life, I made decisions that I thought were the decisions, like they, it was kind of like outside in rather than inside out, like society or, or whatever was telling me that I should go do this in my life. And this is the right thing to do rather than trusting myself from inside and making those decisions. So that to me is like the biggest thing in my life in terms of my learning. Everyone, I think, knows whether it's consciously or unconsciously who they are and what motivates them and what they should do in their lives. And it's sometimes it's hard to kind of hang on to that and, and operate from that place. But I feel like that's everyone's responsibility to a certain mm -hmm. degree. The more, at least speaking for myself, the more that I do that, the more good things kind of, kind of unfold in my life. So I look back on many, many years in my life when I was unemployed and severely depressed and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And a lot of that was because I just wasn't really trusting who I was. I was thinking, again, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And, you know, reading reports about these successful people doing X, Y, and Z and thinking I should be that rather than wait a minute, I know deep down in my heart and soul who I am and what I should be doing and operating from that place. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. In where you've ended up, you interact with or your company interacts with lots of therapists. You have really crafted more and more of a following of being able to focus on kind of these very same principles and helping other people grow their practices. What do you think is the one solid piece of advice that would be the best advice for therapists in building their businesses? You know, some of the common the themes that come up a lot with a lot of therapists, not everyone, I don't want to obviously create a blanket statement for everyone. It's really, really thinking about this work as a business. A lot of professionals in the space that I speak to, not all of them think about it truly from an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, or a small business owner, because I don't know, there, there's something about this work, I think, that people don't think about it as a business. And I think that that's a mistake. Starting simple practice or track your hours or any other business, there's certain things you have to do. There's investments you need to make in your business you know, as a business. And I think therapists need to think that same way too. A lot of therapists, this is what's interesting to me. A lot of therapists will spend a lot of money going to school, 
and they make sacrifices when they're doing their training. You know, they don't, they work for no pay. They sometimes they have multiple jobs or they have families. They expend all this time and energy and money. And then by the time they get licensed, they're about to go into practice. They don't want to spend any money. They don't want to invest in a great website or a practice management product or the right office space, whatever it is. Money becomes really tight. And I get not everyone has extra money just lying around. But I think that if you don't invest in your business and take it seriously, it's really hard for other people to take it seriously. So that's something that kind of comes up for me a lot, which really, it, it kind of hurts me. I, I want to see <laughs> clinicians really embrace the fact that they are entrepreneurs and small business owners, and you have to make investments in your business, whether it's you know, your advertising or your business cards, or whatever it is. These are really important things. And investing, it's not, it's not costs, these are investments. And reframing things from that perspective is something that I feel very strongly about. I totally agree with how you put that because I see that a lot too with the folks I'm working with. I feel like there's this piece, and I want to get your opinion on this, where we want to trust our gut. We want to make sure that people are working from a place of really focusing in on why they're doing the work. But there's this other piece, and I don't think this is instinctual for a lot of therapists. Being an entrepreneur, being a business owner isn't really what hits their gut. I mean, it's, it's really outside the comfort zone. And so oftentimes making a decision about whether to invest in something for the business or even see it as a business oftentimes feels so counterintuitive and so against a gut instinct for a therapist. And so I guess, I don't know, let me see if I can kind of get a question in this, <laughs> but how do you balance kind of trusting your gut and understanding what's coming from internal and what's really kind of the practical things that you have to look at too that may feel outside of your comfort zone? Because I know that for a lot of therapists, their gut is to just help it's not to necessarily be business owners. And so I think that's not going to be an easy shift for them. I keep thinking of the word reframing in my head because when I think about, like when I was in training and I would be in like the intake room with everyone else, like waiting for the calls, like people would talk about, I've got to market my practice. I've got to market my practice. And I just started thinking, you know, the word marketing freaks a lot of people out. Like I'm not a good marketer. I'm not a good marketer. But when you really think about it, what is marketing? Marketing is just building relationships. What do therapists do all day? They're in relationship with people. Mm -hmm. so, networking. I'm really bad at networking. Well, are you? I mean, networking really with your colleagues, for example, is, is just going and talking with people about who you are and what you're doing and, and exchanging information. So I think a lot of it, I know I'm simplifying things a little bit, but it comes <laughs> back down to reframing things, you know, saying I'm not good in business or I don't have business experience. It's kind of like you're creating these big barriers that probably shouldn't even exist. There's things that a business owner needs to do. They need to have a place to work. They need to have uh, some kind of advertising presence, whether it's a website, et cetera. And there's a lot of people out there, there's a lot of companies out there that specialize in these things. So it really comes down to, you don't need to know everything because there are professionals and specialists out there that can help you fill in the gaps from what you don't know. But each one of those specialists costs a little bit of money. So you have to be willing to basically spend a little money or make those investments. Notes not only combines billing, scheduling, and notes into one easy-to-use software, they now also offer group telehealth, up to 15 clients in a group session at a time, and secure messaging features. And with their 24-7 customer service, they're ready to assist you no matter where your practice takes you. Therapy Notes allows you to do it all. Whether you're a solo clinician or part of a group practice, you'll have all the tools for success at your fingertips with Therapy Notes. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN. For two months free. I like the idea of reframing. I think there's this notion that if we frame it in business terms, it becomes taboo or 
Some right. people, I think even almost it feels dirty. Like I'm in this for, for the outcomes, not the income. But I think when you look at investing in some things to really take those decisions off your plate so you can focus on looking at the clinical work, it really goes back to, I think, being able to trust your gut. I'm going to do the clinical work I'm called to do. And I think really reframing marketing or investing in your business is giving yourself the tools to be able to help and providing yourself as a resource so that you can help more people. It's hard for that reframe because there's a lot of it that feels really practical and business-based, but I, I agree. I think if we can help our colleagues to reframe it, it can be a little bit easier to swallow. And from my end, one of the things that really strikes me is Howard's talking about this investment. And I've been a very happy, simple practice customer for about a year now. And I've seen, and this is totally off script. This is not something that Howard's having me talk about. He's totally (laughs) going to be surprised at what I have to say. But I've run into Howard and his staff at a number of conferences over the years and always just kind of been one of those therapists that was like, I had my systems in place and I had my record keeping and I had my scheduling systems and a bunch of things coming together. I don't think you could actually call those systems, Kurt. You were like <laughs> handwriting your notes and like probably even had a paper planner. How is that a system? I, I did not have a paper planner, but All right. but, <laughs> but when I did actually have to convince Howard staff to give me the hard sell on why I should give up <laughs> the systems that I was, because they were very reluctant to do it, very patient with me. They sat me down, they walked me through how it could really change my practice. And I can't stop talking about, this is something that I wish I would have done from the very beginning of my practice, because it's actually been harder to transfer things over than it would have been just to get started that way. (laughs) But in the evolving of my practice, my clients have noticed how much easier it is to schedule things and have really appreciated a lot of the client portal aspects of it. And it's evolving my business. This speaks very much to what Howard's point is, is that sometimes the monetary investments are going to be worth way more than the time investments that you put in. Howard, do you have other advice on how people should evolve their businesses? I mean, there's different things to look at. We could look at technology and that's, you know, you kind of touched on that already, but I think that it it really depends on the individual and what they're trying to do. I think that, you know, one of the things about being a, a clinician is you're only getting income or paid, you know, when you're in the room or you're doing it via video, whatever it is, it's, it's kind of this, like, if you're not actually working, you're not generating revenue or income. People do things like they might have extra office spaces that they lease out, or they start to bring on interns, or if there's someone that is good at generating a lot of potential customers, maybe they bring in other clinicians that maybe aren't so good at that, or clinicians that would just want more of a community environment and develop a group practice where they can generate more income that way. So that really depends on the individual and what they're comfortable with and what they're trying to achieve. So that's a couple ways to do it. It's, it's having these ancillary revenue streams based upon either office space or additional clinicians or mm-hmm. doing supervision, things like that. Again, that's where kind of the more entrepreneurial band gets stretched, you know, depending upon the individual's comfort level and stepping out into those things or even doing groups or things like we're speaking. I mean, there's tons of things you can do as a clinician. And if you have an area of expertise, look what you guys are doing. I mean, that's a prime example. Not everyone can go do that. Not everyone wants to do that. But a lot of people have a great story to tell or great things to offer. And there's different formats they can get those out. And if they want to generate revenue from those, they can totally do it. So it's like sky's the limit in a lot of ways. It really just, again, depends upon who that individual is. Not everyone that goes into this field is, you know, has that entrepreneurial drive. Look, being a clinician, you know, going in, seeing folks, working with them, 
just doing that. I say just not in, in a negative way, but like that's a massive, that's huge right that, then and there. And it's enough for most people. But again, those folks that want a little bit more, there's all these other things that they can do, generate more money and kind of evolve what they do. In addition to even a clinician that doesn't want to do those things, but wants to get involved in other areas, maybe someone has someone in their family that has gone through addiction issues. And that's something that all of a sudden becomes interesting to them. So they go out and they get certified or trained in that, you know, so they can evolve that way and expand their scope of practice or do different things. I like that you said the sky is a limit because I think there's a lot that we can do. And I don't know that a lot of therapists see that they have those options. I think when someone's starting to look at a way to evolve or expand, really their business practices have to change. They need to be more streamlined in how they're operating. They need to make sure that they've thought about it. And like you said, really depending on what they have the stomach for, what they have the skill for, they can move forward. What are the strongest business principles that you think need to be in place when somebody's looking to evolve their business, whatever the additional income or the additional revenue is coming from? Like, what do you think that are the most important things, the most important business principles that for our audience, therapists should follow sure. as they continue to grow? I'm trying to figure out how you're defining principles. I want to interrupt Howard here because it strikes me just all of the therapistness that comes through in how you answer everything. It's <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> Can yeah. you clarify business principles? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just talking about like, what are the most important things that people need to have in place, whether it's systems, practices, methods in place that need to be there for people to really be successful as their businesses evolve? Look, everyone's different, obviously. So I just want to like throw that out there as, as a disclaimer to whatever I say, and these are all just my opinions. But to me, I mean, I'll speak to what's happening to me in my business and how I think it relates to that question. I'm working right now we're building out a big staff here of people that are specialists and that do different things. So I don't have to do things that I shouldn't be doing. So I can be freed up to go and have a conversation like this with you folks or go to conferences and do things that I should be doing so I can evolve how I'm operating in my business. And I think for a clinician, having those systems in place, whether it's, you know, it's a practice management system, you know, ours or somebody else's, whichever one's the best one for you, you know, having a great you know, web presence, having all these systems set up in an automated way to free you up to do other things. You know, people shouldn't be spending too much time on administrative tasks if there's a system that they can do that automates that for them or they can afford to hire somebody, a virtual assistant, whatever it is. There's a lot of value in knowing, hey, what am I really good at, what I should be doing? And more importantly, what shouldn't I be doing? I think a lot of people, let's say they're still managing the practice via paper and pen and an Excel spreadsheet or calculator or something like that. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think that with a system like ours or other ones that are similar, can save a lot of time every month you can apply to other things so you really have to look at how you can free yourself up so you have even the, just the mental space to allow ideas or thoughts to come in because if you don't provide yourself that solitude or that space then you're always on this wheel just kind of moving down you can't let these new ideas or things come in so i think that really having good systems in place that, that automate the administrative task and running your business will free you up to come up with those other ideas or give you time to do those other things and even just to take care of yourself, I think too often therapists will just grind and grind and grind. And it's something where they can't think about automating or delegating something and can really be to the detriment. I mean, I actually have had folks who I've worked with who were really hesitant to delegate billing or bookkeeping or that kind of stuff. And it wasn't even a money saving in that way because they were just banging their head against the wall and running up against deadlines to get insurance billing put into place. So I think it's one of those things where 
if we're not taking the time to step back, make sure that we're simplifying things and really streamlining our processes, we're doing a huge disservice to ourselves. But then as we burn out and as we don't get paid and we can't do the work, then we're doing a disservice to our clients and our community. But, you know, Kurt's like hearing this every time we talk because <laughs> I talk about this all the time. I mean, you and I, Howard, have had conversations about this and it's something where it seems so obvious, but taking that leap to invest in something that I think that's something that a lot of people in every business, but certainly therapy businesses, they're just really uncomfortable with it. It's, it feels so hard to make that investment. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. And I'm thinking about your gigantic investments in technology and, and moving the whole field forward. How do you get past that nervousness of like, hey, this is a big chunk of money or this is a big investment for me. This is a huge shift for me. How do you get your mind around it? How do you take those steps? I'll ask that question, but let me just comment on something you just said. Because one of the biggest things, it's like a pet peeve or maybe that's the right term for it, but clinicians, they charge based on time. Okay, so I'll come and see you for an hour and you'll charge $100, whatever it is. But then they don't really value their time outside of that. And it sounds so kind of cliche and an overworn statement like, oh, you use this system, it'll save you three hours a month. But you know, those things really are important. I mean, and you have to mm-hmm. equate, like time is our most precious resource. You really have to attach a value to it. So mm-hmm. when you pay for something, I know it's cash out of your hand, you really have to equate how that's saving you time or doing things for you you know, see the value in it. And I think it's a really important thing to do. And people have a hard time doing it because again, it is cash kind of going out. But so what was your question again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because for you, you've made some big leaps. You've been able to invest in some, I'm assuming some big stuff to create the technology that you've created. And so there was that decision, that walking into fear. How do you get your head around making these big decisions to step outside your comfort zone and make a big investment? I have been pretty, um, I'll say reckless sometimes. And I just, again, it comes down to trust. It's like when I developed Track Your Hours, I knew, hey, this is a really good idea. I need it. And I just started kind of going from there. And the initial investment for that wasn't that much. For simple practice, the investment was much bigger. We had to develop mm-hmm. our product for a year and a half before we could even launch it. We had to invest in big infrastructure for you know HIPAA and privacy and all those things. So it, it was a significant amount of money you know, there were times it was really, 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 really freaking scary. But I just believed in it so much and knew it was the right thing to do. Like I had really good intentions around it. It wasn't like I was doing it for the money. I mean, of course, I wanted to make money from it and I have to make money to survive. But that really wasn't the drive for me. It's like I just knew that I wanted to create the system. Uh, you know, I'd gone to school with all these 
wonderful people. I trained with them. I felt like this community, you know, I was serving them. And so to me, it's like, I've talked about this before with other folks. It's like simple practice to me isn't just about scheduling and billing software. It's like, we're on a mission and the mission is to help professionals run their practices better. And everyone here on this team is really driven by that same mission. It's really kind of cool to see this growing company have that mission. So that grounds me over the years that we had to develop the product and we were getting started that I was writing a lot of checks and spending a lot of money. I knew we were on a good path. So I kind of let that drive me. You know, I have a family, I have two kids and whether that was the smartest thing to do, because I basically depleted all my savings, put everything into it. I worked seven days a week, missed events, things like that. I was just driven to do this, but I just, again, I felt it was the right thing to do. So I just kind of powered through it. It's so helpful, I think, because for so many people getting licensed, you know, working for free sometimes, it does deplete their savings, but they have this big mission. And granted, obviously, the scales are different as far as, you know, the amount of money, but it can feel the same when your savings is being whittled down. And a lot of people who have successful businesses kind of keep this in the background. But I love that you said it was terrifying because I think. That's something that a lot of people don't talk about, that being an entrepreneur, having these big visions and have them drive you can be completely terrifying and overwhelming. You have to keep reminding yourself about the mission to make sure that you're staying on track, but also to not lose the momentum. Thank you for acknowledging the fear involved because it's not something that I think a lot of people are willing to admit. Well, here's an example. It's like, you know, I can wake up in the morning, look at my phone and there's email from somebody about simple practice. And it's like, that's how my day starts. And then I come into the office and maybe there's some good emails from people. So I, basically you can go through this roller coaster ride in a day. You feel great, then you feel bad, then you feel great. It's this, this constant roller coaster and you just have to kind of keep your eye on, on what you're trying to do and kind of work through it. But it's very hard. There's, high, there's really high highs and there's really low lows. I imagine that some of those emails that you're referring to are the <laughs> criticism of accessing help through simple practice. And <laughs> can, can you maybe tell us a little bit today? I know that there's a lot of people who want to know, how did you come to the decision not to have phone support? This is an interesting topic. First of all, let me say this. I would love, love, love nothing more than to have an army of folks that could on demand answer everyone's call 24-7 you know, all the time. That would be amazing. One of the things to remember is we charge $50 a month for our amazing product. Yeah. We went from seven folks on the, on the support team last year to now we have 20 and we'll probably be at 30, 35 by the end of the year, maybe more. We're making a huge investment right now in our support team. We call it our success team. We tried phone support initially when we had a much, much smaller team. And basically what happens is people won't go to the help center to try to help themselves. Uh, They'll just pick up the phone and call for anything a very quick call turns into a 45-minute call because everyone's they have multiple questions to answer. And then what happens is the phone queue kind of backs up and now you've got all these people that are leaving messages. And then while the people that are on the phone calls, the support tickets that are coming in get backed up too. It's very hard to scale that in the right way. I'm not saying that as an excuse. That's just the reality early on. So we started to do it and then we tapered off. But I would say now we have a lot of live support options. We do live chat. We have daily Q&A classes. If people are writing into our support team and there's a complex issue that has to be resolved, we'll do a Zoom session with them. There are multiple ways that we do live support. We don't have on-demand phone support right now. One of the things that I will point out though, because I know this comes up in Facebook a lot, people will go to our competitors and their competitors on the page will say they phone support. People will knock simple practice because, oh, you don't have phone support. I'll just say this. Our director of customer success has been repeatedly calling four of our main competitors for months, their phone support. 
And he recently just called the other day, and I'm not going to name the names. I don't do that. But one of them, <laughs> uh, he waited one and a half minutes to music. Then a message came on telling him he was fifth in line and invited him to leave a message. Another one, he had to wait a minute, and a message came on to leave a message. They would get back to him. He called another one, and then he hit the button to go to the support team. After a minute, a message came on to leave a message and pointed them to their website. So what I'm saying is there's a lot of companies that are our competitors that say they offer phone support, but it might not be what you think. So I would advise folks to do their homework and understand what the phone support really means. We will do something this year with phone support, absolutely. But we do offer a lot of different live support options. And again, we're growing our team. We're at 20 now. We're going to get bigger. We are fully committed to our support team and growing it. And I like the opportunity for the positive reframe in here too. And one of the very first things that you mentioned is teaching therapists to help themselves, which is <laughs> such a parallel process to what we do with all of our clients. <laughs> yeah, but look, I mean, I'm the same way. I'd rather just pick up the phone and call somebody, I mean, than go to the <laughs> health center. But we are also committed, you know, we're bringing someone on board whose sole job is to just really go through our health center and make sure that it's optimized in the best way possible. I did support early on in this when we started simple practice. I know how hard it is and I know how important it is. A lot of folks that use our product, their only interaction with our company is with our product specialists. So, you know, these folks have to be really, you know, great at what they do. And we have to have great systems for people to get the help that they need. You know, we're spending a lot of money and we're, we're hiring great people and we're fully invested in that. And our customer satisfaction scores are way up. Our MPS scores are way up. You know, our ticket response time is going way down. Everything's moving in the right direction. It's never going to be perfect for everybody. There's always going to be people that have problems with it. And that's a bummer. And it's hard to read those comments and stuff like that. But it's like we're doing the best that we can. Well, one thing that I'm hearing is that you really have been thoughtful about how you provide customer support, even though there's been such a push for phone support. You've been really trying to be this is my words, not yours, but kind of above board in being truthful about what it is that you're offering. We don't have on-demand phone support. These are the options. There's a lot of videos. There's all this stuff. Even though there's been kind of, in my words, a, kind of a lot of haters that have been really negative about the lack of phone support, it sounds like you've stuck to your guns and continue to develop phone support in a way that's scalable for where you are at the stage of the business that you're at. How have you been able to do that? Because it would have been easy just to say, okay, we have on-demand phone support and do the same thing, which is one minute music and then the, leave a message and then go to the website. How have you been able to stick with that even though there's been such a push, such a demand for phone support? Because we want to provide a great experience for our customers. If we say we have phone support and it's not a great experience because we can't support this on-demand thing, I think having a really bad experience around it is worse than, than just not offering it, but offering, again, these other live support options. So like I said, we're, we're moving towards getting to that, but we want to do it in the right way. We don't want to just do it to say we do it. That's too easy, but it's, it's disingenuous. One of the things that I pride myself and our company on is like, we're very transparent we're very open. When we make mistakes, we admit it. You know, I don't want to do a disservice to our customers saying, oh yeah, we offer phone support now. And then people will be pissed off because we'll get a thousand people calling at the same time. And there's absolutely no way you can respond to a thousand calls coming in every hour, let's say. So mm -hmm. it's just not in service to our customers, even though there's people out there that say we have to have it and, and don't use simple practice because they don't have it. I don't believe that. I do appreciate in echoing what Katie said, sticking to your principles, knowing what you can provide, being able to keep the prices affordable and to still be able to really stand behind your product. Those are principles that I bring to my practice that I'm happy to do. I really appreciate other people who can do that with their businesses too. 
So what's next for simple practice besides the customer support stuff that we talked about? What are some of the next things for simple practice for you? Like what should we be looking forward to in the next little bit? Well, you know, I, I don't want to get in trouble with my product team and give too much away. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to give our listeners the inside scoop? <laughs> <laughs> we, well, look, we've got a really exciting roadmap for the year and we've broken it down by quarter and we're very committed to, you know, one of the things I'll talk kind of more broadly about is you know, kind of our financial management system, which includes billing and things like that. We're making a big investment this year in really making that better, improving some of the usability around things and adding pieces to it that folks have been asking for. So that's a big commitment we're making this year, the whole financial system. I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about our service called Smart Billing Pro. I don't know if you know about that. We have a lot of folks that submit insurance claims and things like that, but don't want to manage that process by themselves. We have our first in-house biller that we just hired. We're providing billing services, basically. So folks that want to have a biller, they can do that through simple practice. People will be hearing more about that over the next you know two or three months as we kind of ramp that team up. I'm hesitant to, to mention this, but... Uh, Telehealth is, oh, wow. is coming sooner than people may think. And nice. to me, that's huge. It, it'll be integrated into our product and it'll be a seamless experience and it's going to be awesome. That is the thing I am most excited about. That's very cool. So we've mentioned Howard's business, Simple Practice. Simplepractice.com is where you can find that out. We'll include a link to that in our show notes. Howard, thank you so much for joining us today. We Love seeing you in all of our travels around. Your team has been great no matter where I've ran into them. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for the, the comments about our team. I'm really proud of our team. They love serving our community. So thanks. And if any of our listeners want to run into Howard, he's going to be at our Therapy Reimagined conference in October. You can find a link to that in our show notes or on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. And there's going to be 14 CEUs over two days. We're talking about issues affecting therapists, both now in the present and looking forward. And until then, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy and Howard Spector. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, use promo code MODERN for two free months. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions.